The Westwinds Breviary is our gift to you during the shelter-in-place order concerning COVID-19. We offer you hope and healing as lovers and followers of Jesus Christ believing these short online liturgies will elevate your spirits and unify your homes. May God bless you richly as you endeavor to renew your mind and love your neighbor. Morning, everybody. Why fight God? You're mad. Resistance is permitted, but unproductive. Thanks for joining us today online at the West Winds Breviary, Acts chapter 26. This is the Apostle Paul presenting a defense of the Christian faith to King Agrippa. Verse 12. I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'm currently reading a book called How to Like the Apostle Paul Again which is a really funny title for a book. It's by one of my favorite writers, Conrad Gempf, who's a biblical scholar. He's an American guy who currently teaches in London. And he's just got a, a nice way of, of presenting the problems in the scripture. He wrote a great book called Mealtime Habits of the Messiah, talked about Jesus and food, the importance of table fellowship. And, and here in his book, How to Like the Apostle Paul Again, he starts with a, a story much like this, where he says, you know, you, you, you have to understand Saul, Paul, and his historical context. I mean, first of all, we think that his, his non-Christian name was Saul, and then he became a follower of Jesus and turned his name into Paul. No, no, no. His Jewish name was Saul. His Roman name was Paul. Because Paul, Saul, is somebody who has two identities, and later three identities. He's, he's very Jewish. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a student of Gamaliel, the most important rabbinical teacher of his day. We still have rabbinical students today studying Gamaliel. I mean, Gamaliel is a towering figure in rabbinical Judaism. A huge, and, and Saul was his protege. Saul was a young man when he first started appearing in the pages of the New Testament, eager to make a name for himself, eager to differentiate himself from, from his teacher, eager to show that he was somebody worthy not only of Gamaliel, but eager to, to surpass him. And so that's his Jewish identity. And then in his Roman identity, he was a, a Roman citizen, a rarity among Jewish people, but he was cultured, he was educated, he was articulate, he was skilled. I mean, he was, he was everything. A man of the world. So Saul, Paul, Jew, Gentile, and former zealot, now apostle of Jesus. This is the story of his conversion as he tells it. And there's a couple of difference, um, differences here between the original story in Acts chapter 9 and his retelling of it here to King Agrippa. Most notably, in Acts chapter 9, we're told that, that Saul was on commission not from the chief priests, but from the high priest. Well, that's an important distinction. 
The chief priests are a body of leaders, maybe like our cabinet or our government. The high priest was like the cream, that's the pope. That's, that's the ultimate authority of Judaism in the second temple period. And for Paul to have a letter from him commissioning him to specifically uh, reduce and remove the Christian threat, that, that's a big deal. Now, I, I, again, I just want you to understand, here's, here's Saul. A bright-eyed Jewish boy eager to distinguish himself among his colleagues. And, and he's learning about this new sect of Christianity within Judaism. He's hearing about people who are holding on to heretical beliefs, blasphemous beliefs. And, and he sees a moment here for him to strike out and make his mark because he's full of zeal for God. He's passionate. He's fervent. And so he goes not under the authority of his teacher Gamaliel, in fact, Gamaliel initially instructed all his pupils that they should be cautious and not too harsh with Christians because God would sort the problem out himself. Well, Paul wasn't going to wait. He's got a young man's passion, a young man's fury. He says, forget this, goes to the high priest, gets a letter of authority, and goes out specifically to persecute, attack Christians. And that's when, then, then is when Jesus appears to him. Then when Christ knocks him on his butt, blinds him, and uses him, turns him. I want you to think about how, how much Saul had to lose. Like, he's got a recommendation from the high priest. He's got the patronage of Gamaliel. I mean, if that was me, if, if the Pope was, was handwriting me letters, hey, Dave, I've got a couple of things I need you to take care of in Detroit. I'd be like, Yes, I got the papal seal right here. This is guaranteed free coffee at every Starbucks from here to mid-Michigan, right? I mean, the, just think of the authority that goes along with that, the, the sense of dignity, and, and then to have the patronage of, of Gamaliel. I mean, that, that would be, can you imagine if, if Rick Warren was inviting me to stay at his house all the time, or if what, was some of one of these other super pastors, I mean, what, regardless of whether you, or not you like them or agree with everything, if, if there's just something sort of scale-worthy, something dazzling about Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Stephen Furtick saying, yeah, that, that's my guy, I'm, I'm teaching him. If you have all that backing, you're a, a rising star. And then Christ knocks him on his butt and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? At that moment, Paul must have realized, I'm about to lose everything. I had a future, and now it's being taken from me. I had pro promise and, and hope and aspirations, not anymore. I got no prospects anymore. Now I'm encountering this, this vision, this apparition, this light, this truth. Because that's what Christ does to us. He says, your, your plans, are, those are adorable. But they're not my plans. Why are you persecuting me? Actually, the, the quote that Jesus uses here is, is hilarious. And, and again, remember, Paul's got this dual identity, Jewish and Gentile. And so the, 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 the voice speaking to Paul speaks to him in Hebrew because he's Jewish. But the question that it asks, the question that Jesus asks, is a, a Roman question. It's a colloquialism, a saying that Romans had. Why do you kick against the goads? A goad was a really sharp stick that you would jab in the bum of an ox when it wouldn't go where you want it. Because oxen are so big, they're so strong, you can't move them, you can't, you can't like slap it, you can't kick it, it's, it doesn't even notice it, it's like a fly landing on it. So you get a big sharp stake and you jab it in the bum and then all of a sudden it pays attention. So to say, why are you kicking against the goads, means when you stab the ox in the bum, it turns around and tries to kick your face off. 
And Jesus is saying, why are you trying to kick my face off? I just knocked you on your butt because we got a job to do. You're not going the way I want. I got to get you going in a different direction. And this is the real transforming work of Christ. He gets us going in a different direction. He transforms our hate into love. He transforms our fury into passion. He transforms our, our, our pride into piety. And this is the work of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. And nowadays we think of Paul as, you know, this towering figure in early Christian history. You know, he was the one who was leading all the churches. No, no, no. He started all the churches. But if you carefully read the letters in the New Testament, if you carefully read Acts in the New Testament, he started everything. And then the people that were sort of looking to him initially for support and guidance quickly found somebody else. I mean, he was always contending for the truth of his apostleship. When people spoke about leaders in the early church, they didn't speak about Paul. We do. They didn't. Back then, the leaders were Peter and James. So Paul is not even like he was going to have all this position, privilege, and authority in Judaism, and then he had none. Even within the Christian community, he constantly had to vie, to scrabble his way up. He's no longer the, the child of promise. Now he's the jabroni with bad eyesight and a broken bum. Um, and then the truth, of course, is that he made his peace with that. He became not only content in that, he relished it because he was doing the things that God had called him to do. He'd been transformed by God. He'd been stuck with God's goad. And then finally, he experienced the fulfillment of everything he ever wanted but never could have without Christ. Friends, that's for you. You might be looking for significance or hope or promise in some other thing in zeal, in religion, in business, in love. But ultimately, the only way you're going to feel the sense of God's satisfaction that you so deeply crave is if you stop kicking against the goad and go with God because God will not be ignored. God is coming for you. God has claimed you because God likes you and he's got a plan for you that is infinitely better than your adorable little dream for yourself. strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thy all in all Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe sin that left a grave Hey. 
When Carmel and I baptized our daughter Anna, we wanted to do something special, something peculiar that would mark Anna's baptism um, as unique. And we wanted to surprise her with it. And so I took this vial of olive oil. And after everyone else had been baptized that day, and my daughter was the last one in the baptismal tank, um, I opened this, this jar of oil and I poured it all over her head. I anointed her with oil and prayed a blessing upon her and wept tears of great joy. As a father, there's nothing, nothing that touches the love you have for your children. Nothing that can compare to the purity and the power of emotion and aspiration that you have for their well-being. And I believe in the biblical power of blessings. I believe in the blessings of a father over their children. And that day, baptizing my daughter, whatever good things were inside me came out. And I hope and trust that they still do. Today, we remember our baptism. We remember that God is our father, that whatever dreams we have for our earthly children, his dreams for us pour out in rivers of blessing of positivity, of good intention, of holiness, of love, and of promise. So friends, remember, you've been claimed by Christ, and you walk in the newness of life with him forever. Over time, we learn when God is victorious, we enjoy the prize. We will overcome the world because God has won in us. Grace and peace, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us. We will see you tonight on the West Winds Breviary.